Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Fans, I am here today today to talk with Rebecca Mara. She is a pro runner for Wazelle and Little Wing Athletics. She focuses on middle distance events, the 800 and 1500 meters. Um, Little Wing Athletics is an all women's team based in Bend, Oregon, and that is sponsored by Wazelle. Rebecca is also a public policy professional, having served as a special assistant to the mayor of Bend, Oregon and most recently a campaign manager for a local candidate running for office. She received her undergraduate and master's degree from Stanford University in international relations and communications, respectively. As a runner, Rebecca has some of the, some really outstanding personal best times. For example, in the 800, a PR of two minutes, 0.82 seconds, 404.9 in the 1500 and a 4.22 in a road mile. Rebecca, super impressive. And thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for the uh, the introduction. <laughs> I feel honored. You're welcome. Yeah, I did just get a little self-conscious though. Do I say Oregon wrong? How do you say so, it? So <laughs> you say there? the way my grandparents say it, which makes me think you're from the East Coast. <laughs> I am. Yes, mm-hmm. that makes sense. It, I say Oregon. But my grandparents who are from Long Island, New York, say Oregon. And I've yeah. corrected them many times. Even my mom thought that's how you said it. And she's been corrected. So it's Yeah, okay. I mean, I've been there. I've said that state many times in my life. But as I was like reading it off, I started to get self-conscious. And I was like, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Because <laughs> yes, I'm from Massachusetts originally. So the other side of the country. <laughs> yep, that makes sense. I, I hear it yeah. in, in the accent a little bit. But no, it's good. It Just an accent. <laughs> Yeah. Well, is that where you grew up or just where you live right now and where you're training? Um, I grew up in Southern California. I'm actually coming to you today from my parents' house. (laughs) And uh, I lived in Southern California until I was 18. I lived in the Bay Area. You mentioned I went to Stanford for six years and then made the leap and moved to Oregon in, gosh, early 2018. So it's been three and a half years. Can't believe it. So maybe I am an Oregonian now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, amazing. So Rebecca, you know, you are a pro runner and let's just start there. You know, at what age did you get into running and start taking it seriously? Yeah. So I grew up as a soccer player and I also grew up doing junior lifeguards and junior lifeguards in Southern California, very California based thing, but basically like how to survive at the beach, but they had all sorts of you know, water swimming competitions and running competitions on the beach. And I used to, you know, do the 
those competitions all the time and did quite well. And only reason I was ever any good at, at playing soccer too was I was left footed and I, I could run fast. And so I quickly realized that <laughs> that maybe uh, when I got to track and fields, I started a little bit in middle school and I ran a six minute mile when I was in sixth grade. And I thought, I had no idea what that meant, <laughs> but other people told me it was good. So I just kind of found my way into, into the sport, I guess, through other sports. But yeah, I've been running, I guess, like, I mean, I wouldn't call it competitively when I was in middle school. I'd run two miles a week and then show up to a race, but um, really started training when I was in high school. Yeah, very cool. And then you went, you went on to compete in college and looking at kind of your statistics and stuff, you had really a breakout year in college, which is just always interesting because freshman year can be so tough for a lot of people with all the changes, moving away from home, just adjustments is also, I think just to put it plainly, a difficult age, you know, your body going through changes and stuff. Like, is there anything in particular that you think um, contributed to having a successful freshman year? Yes. And it would be that it wasn't a successful freshman year. It was a successful sophomore year. <laughs> it just shows up as oh, my okay. freshman season. <laughs> that would be why. I mean, my freshman year, I really struggled. My mom reminded me recently that I'd call her often and be like, can I come home? <laughs> like I'm having a really hard time. And I made wonderful friends and I had a fantastic experience as a freshman in many ways, but not as a runner. I was really bullheaded. I wanted to run my first cross country season and I did. I ran all the way through NCAAs and I got hurt. And then I tried to come back for indoor season. And I never, being from Southern California, I'd never run indoor track. So before I even got to real indoor track season, I got hurt again. And then topped it off with one more stress fracture, trying to come back again in the spring. So really, freshman year wasn't much of a success. Um, I spent most of my time drinking and <laughs> like not sleeping and you know not being exactly the smartest. I was famous in my dorm for eating Lucky Charms for dinner every night, which honestly, most people probably did. So nutritionally, wasn't very smart. I think I gained probably 15 pounds. And yeah, I kind of thought, maybe track isn't for me, and then was able to kind of start from the basics between freshman and sophomore year, and, and built built myself back up and you know, stayed healthy all of sophomore year. And I've said it so many times, but the secret to the sport is consistency. And, and most people know that if they've been in it for a long time. And I was consistent sophomore year. And that's why by the time I got to the end, I ran a huge 1500 personal best, but it really took making a lot of mistakes freshman year. And then I had to make more mistakes in the next few years of college afterwards to learn from them and grow too. Mm hmm. Well, you know, so I had my research wrong then because I thought that was your freshman year. And that's why it stuck out to me that I was like, wow, most people have a challenging freshman year. And so uh-huh. I appreciate your your honesty and just like, yeah, it was challenging. It was. It um, definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I also really appreciate your transparency and bringing up like the drinking thing, you know, that because I think a lot of people don't want to talk about that and face the facts that, yeah, you're going to go to college and you're going to be exposed to that. And then you know, how, you know, every team might have different rules and policies, every individual person might have different feelings towards alcohol. But like, that's part of a college experience that we have to address, especially as athletes. And I'm of the mindset that all food fits and moderation is important. Me too. We do. Yes, we do find ourselves in a little bit of a pickle when it comes to things like alcohol, never mind, you know, underage that's a, a different topic mm, but yes but we do yeah <laughs> yeah but we do find ourselves in in a bit of a pickle there because it, that is probably although I personally consume alcohol in moderation and find that works for my life you know that is probably the one and only 
food group that we can say actually doesn't help your body. You know, I can make an argument that Cheetos help your body because it gives you energy and you need energy, (laughs) but you don't need alcohol, right? So that's always a tricky one. 100%. Yeah, it is. It's not great for you. I think I've heard at some point, I don't know if this statistic is correct, but each drink you have like sets your sets your recovery back like an hour or something. And yeah, I mean, I was I spent all of freshman year hurt and it's no surprise to me <laughs> that there's also a correlation with the amount that I was hurt as a freshman with, you know, how much I was kind of going out with my friends and and socially drinking. Yeah, it took time to to learn a smart relationship with alcohol too. Like I never drank when I was in high school. And then it was like free for all freshman year of college. And then kind of over time, I I worked it out and, and got better. I think a lot of people have a similar experience. But yeah, now like, I don't know when I'm in season, like I'll have a drink once in a while if I feel like it. But for the most part, I don't really have very much at all. And you know, in this like six to eight weeks of off season, I have like, you know, if I go on vacation, I'll, I'll have some more or not if I don't want it. And then yeah, I kind of will will wean off of it and not really have any (laughs) like or or very, very little, I suppose. But that's that's my preference for the majority of the year. Yeah. And I I think that's it's it's important to find as especially as you are a pro runner, just to find that balance and what works for you, knowing alcohol does affect our recovery. And I'm not even as a dietitian in this conversation, I'm, I'm not sure about that statistics and would have to look up the whole hour thing. I'm not, I'm not even sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure where that came from. Yeah. But I do know from a standpoint, like one of the, our biggest concerns is dehydration that can affect you for up to 48 hours after drinking and things like that. So you're thinking, well, if I'm going to go on a long run or whatever it might be, you know, yeah, this can start to play a role. So we, you know, we have to work that out. And I think freshmen struggle because it's their first exposure to it. A little too much excitement, a little too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's something to, to be aware of and, and to, to kind of learn from, but I'm glad I did. And, you know, I have people in my life that like kind of went through, <laughs> through phases of learning and like friends of mine who, who don't drink anymore. And I, I get it. And they're also athletes. And like I said, it's kind of everyone's own prerogative, but I think, you know, moderation is, is generally the answer. Yeah. So, so going into sophomore year, you you kind of changed some of those habits a little bit and became more consistent with your training, your focus, your recovery, your nutrition, and you were able to have that really outstanding breakout sophomore year. And I'm always curious to know, like, at what point did you really see that running professionally was in the cards for you? Because you also have, you know, your your career in, you know, public service is also quite impressive as well. So at what point did you kind of make that transition to thinking, I think I can run professionally. I think that there was always a seed in my mind, you know, going to Stanford, there were so many fantastic athletes and so many athletes I saw that went on to sign big contracts with companies and, and go on to compete on a high level. So I think, like I said, the seed was always there, but I think the reality for me was, you know, I had that good sophomore year and then I had a lot of bumps in the road for the next few years. And I just, I, I've said this before, but I set up my life in a way that was going to transition out of sport <laughs> by the time that I graduated and like make the most of my time in the NCAA and at Stanford, but probably not run afterwards because I had other hopes and dreams and goals. And like running wasn't a sustainable thing, at least in the way that I was doing it. Like I just spent so much time heartbroken and so much time hurt that it wasn't until, so I ran 417 my sophomore year. 
And I ran 417 the next year and 417 the year after that. And I'd run 417 the year after that. And I thought, man, maybe this is just how good I'm going to get. And I had this really kind of magical end to my fifth year. So I took a fifth year at Stanford to do my master's. And it was like the last few races that just came together. Like I ran 414 in the NCAA final, which I barely made. And then I went on to flew to Portland by myself and I ran 411 there and qualified for my first US champs and was like, oh, wow, (laughs) I just improved six seconds finally after waiting four years for it. And yeah, it was kind of then that I realized I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be done. My college coach had a conversation with me about like, post-collegiate running. And he said, you'll know, (laughs) like you'll finish your last race and you'll, you'll know if you want to keep going or not. And I had the feeling like, I want to keep running. I got to figure this out. So then I spent the next six months while working a full-time job, trying to figure out what, what that was going to look like. So I don't I wouldn't say it was a traditional path into, into professional running, but everyone's is different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think also, even though that was, I'm sure, incredibly hard for you to not see yourself progress, um, gives some people who might be in a similar position to you a lot of hope that you still can, you know, and if you just stay consistent, if this is something you want, and something that brings you joy, and you keep at it, you know, could be three or four years at the same time, but then suddenly, you break through. Yeah, normalize the plateau. It's so frustrating. And you feel like when you see people around you getting better every year that like that should be you too. And even now I still get stuck in that like I need to PR every year and I need to get better and better. And if I don't, if I don't PR, it feels like I'm not successful. But in reality, like you said, it's all about consistency. And I had a plateau in high school for several years. I ran 451 as a freshman and it took me until the end of my senior year to run five seconds faster than that. And same thing happened to me in college. And it's just the way the way that it is sometimes. But if you keep working at it, like, you know, it'll come. It just won't always come on the timeline you were hoping it would. Yeah. Normalize the plateau. I like it. (laughs) And you recently, I mean, I in my head it's recent, but I guess it was quite a few months ago now. But you were in the US Olympic trials. What was that experience like for you? Oh my goodness. So surreal. I still can't believe that I ran at the Olympic trials. I mean, even like, I guess five years before I remember watching it in 2016, I was working in Washington, DC for the summer. I had tried to qualify for the trials, but I was just so far off. Like I ran 417 and I think the cutoff to get into trials was what, 410 or something, which only sounds like seven seconds for people who aren't track and field people, (laughs) but seven seconds is a lot in a, in a distance so short. So yeah, I just never imagined myself like among that echelon of of professional track athletes. And so to get there and to have qualified in two events was like fantastic. (laughs) It was such a cool experience. I mean, when I finished, you know, I, I ran three rounds of the 1500 and I was really disappointed with my finish in, in the 15. I finished 11th in the final and I really wanted more. I mean, everyone wants to be third, right? But I thought I could have done better than that. I just had a bad day and it was a bad day to have a bad day. And that happens. But, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to run the 800. I actually took the day. I went with Lauren and her family to a public pool <laughs> the day before the 800 started. And wow. I jumped off of like platforms and went through water slides with her eight-year-old son. And I had such a fun day. I just needed to like let go because I was so like still wound up about the 1500 that I was able to approach the eight in such like, I don't know, a, a more fun way, I guess. Like I was enjoying myself again. And I like kind of let the pressure fall off. Like I've already 
done three rounds. I don't know what my body is going to do <laughs> trying to run a fourth, fifth, and even a sixth race. So I think like letting go and having that day was like the best thing and was able to go into the aid and enjoy myself. And I think I feel like I got robbed a little bit for making that 800 final with a little bit of a, a fall that happened and having to hurdle over someone. But the end of the day, like the experience was amazing. I will never forget it. I'm so glad that that I got that opportunity. I don't know that I ever want to run five races in a week ever again. <laughs> that really was, lot. yeah, that really was something. But like just to be a part of the magic and to see Hayward Field, to have the opportunity to compete so many times, to watch so many fantastic performances, like. I enjoyed it not only as an athlete, but as a track fan. So I hope to be going back to trials for years to come, hopefully in three years as an athlete, but then, you know, I'll return for three years after that, probably just to watch and be a fan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, as a professional runner, there's so many exciting races throughout your career, I'm sure, but, but that that's definitely a kind of a defining moment, um, you know, cause it comes around so well, so few years, every four years, in this case, five. So, so it's so awesome that you got that experience. I also, you know, just being a, me being a former track and field athlete um, and just, you know, a lover of that sport. I love getting into the details because I think it's funny for those who aren't track listeners. We have lots of listeners that are, are other athletes and sports and stuff, but like thinking about seven seconds and like, that's a really long time in such a short race. And yet for some people, a mile is really, really far, you know? Yeah, so, totally. Um, I know, short in air quotes. Right, right, exactly. I love it. So Rebecca, I'd love to know more about your journey with nutrition. You know, at what point in your life, kind of, if ever, I, I assume nutrition is uh, has some role in your life as a pro athlete, but at what point in your life did nutrition come on your radar as being something that could help you or something you wanted to learn about? Yeah. So I spent most of high school kind of <laughs> eating anything. I mean, I had nights with my friends, we'd order like three Domino's pizzas and eat out of a tub of cookie dough. So I wouldn't say I, I knew a whole lot by the time I got to college, but food, food was tough. I mean, I saw people as soon as I got to college, I, I never thought once about the way that I looked or comparing my body to others or or like how my nutritional intake affected that. But I saw people kind of really, a few people on my team really struggled with eating disorders and, and disordered eating, some of which kind of ended up having to take time away from the team because of it. But that was, you know, my first exposure. And I think I went the other way, if that makes sense as a freshman, like I saw people restricting, and I saw people not being healthy. And that freaked me out. And I thought, you know, like, I'm, I'm, going to go eat whatever I want <laughs> because I can. And I think that I still eat whatever I want, but like, I just didn't eat. I didn't have things that were good for me. Like I said, I ate Lucky Charms for dinner all the time. Like I didn't like a lot of the food in the dining hall. I didn't eat vegetables. I ate a lot of like rice and pasta and I spent a lot of time hurt. And then kind of at the end of my freshman year, we met with maybe beginning of sophomore year, we met with a team nutritionist and she was working with a lot of folks in Stanford athletics. And it was the first time I was like, you know, I, I guess I really should eat like a more of a balanced meal. Like that would be a good thing for me to have on a regular basis, like eating, <laughs> eating salads and eating vegetables and like eating chicken or like healthy proteins was just not something I'd ever like thought about before. And so that was when I kind of moved more towards, okay, I'm still going to like 
eat what I want, but I need to make sure I eat vegetables <laughs> and eat like things that are good for me alongside. And it's, it's no wonder to me that I became more consistent that year because I was fueling my body in a much smarter way. And yeah, from then on, like that's kind of the way that I've thought about it, like making sure I'm happy, but also like fueling my body in, in smart ways. So that's kind of how I, how I adopted that mindset. And I learned a bit more as a professional from a couple different nutritionists about how to fuel like right after workouts. That was never something I did or thought about how to kind of jumpstart the recovery process. So I started making sure I always had like a sandwich or a bagel or a bar, banana, something um, for after, after I'd be done, uh, done running or done with the workout to kind of, like I said, jumpstart recovery. But yeah, in general, I think for me, I'm not someone who skips dessert in season. I had teammates who were a fan of that or feeling like they had accomplished something. I, I didn't like that. Like I said, alcohol in moderation. For me, I don't like it nearly as much as I like sugar. <laughs> so for me, I'll always choose the, the cake over the glass of wine anyways. But yeah, I don't know. I think a happy athlete is a good athlete. And for me, I know that means like eating balanced meals, but also like eating things that make me happy and what I want. So that's usually how I roll now, but took time to learn it. Okay, fans, I'm going to pause this conversation to let you ladies know about the Rise Up Nutrition Coaching Program. We have a lot of ways that we can help clients here at Rise Up Nutrition. And this is one of two amazing opportunities to get the direct help you need. With our team of sports dietitians, this program helps adult female athletes fuel to perform without strict dieting. Ah, how good does that sound? Finally, you will understand nutrition for day-to-day -day training. Eat intuitively with foods that you love and be race day or competition day ready with energy and confidence. We have more details about what's included and how we can help on our website, riseupnutritionrun.com slash group coaching. Links are in the show notes, but I quickly want to share what a few of our clients have said about their experiences in this program so far. Sophie, a trail runner says, quote, I really encourage anyone who has struggled with eating and lives an active lifestyle to consider this program because it's so hard to know if you're fueling properly without someone on the outside looking in from an objective point of view. I now feel confident in my food choices and more than anything, confident that I can actually eat more and that it will only benefit my health and my training. Sarah, another one of our clients and triathlete says, quote, for anyone that is struggling with diet culture, a history of disordered eating, and is trying to learn how to eat and fuel, this is a program they should strongly consider. I've been active my whole life and trying to fit a mainstream diet has never worked. In fact, it's created more problems than good. Working with Rise Up Nutrition has made things very simple. So again, if you are an adult female athlete that wants to perform better without strict dieting, click that link in our show notes to apply to the Rise Up Nutrition Coaching Program, and we would be thrilled to have you join us. Until then, we will get back to the conversation. Well, I think that really highlights just the importance of learning nutrition because it's at some point, whether it's in high school or in college, whether it's because you're taking your sport very seriously or just because you're caring about your long-term health, what is right for one person isn't inherently right for another. And you really do have to learn it for yourself. And I think many of us, many of us, not all, 
many of us can get through high school just being a kid and, you know, running off of adrenaline and, yeah, you're just a kid. You just have energy and, and you know, you're just doing things. And there is this shift, you know, somewhere around between the ages of like 17 and 20 and going to college and you have to figure out how to feed yourself, cook yourself, buy groceries, go to the dining hall, just, you know, adulting, right? Like (laughs) you have to figure it out. So you do have to learn nutrition and it might come with making some mistakes. And that's the interesting thing too, how it's okay if we do make mistakes with our nutrition, but we want to work towards correcting them. And it's just interesting, your perspective of seeing other people's mistakes and you kind of going in the opposite direction. Cause you're like, well, I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to restrict, but which is good. Happy to hear that. But then you also weren't necessarily giving yourself what you needed to fuel your body. Yeah. I mean, I kind of left out a piece there, but yeah, freshman year, I, I went the other direction and then sophomore year, I think. I thought that I needed to to eat less in order to to be faster. And so I did have a period of time where I wasn't smart about nutrition because I thought eating less meant I'd get faster. And I was quickly corrected there actually by a teammate of mine who was like, hey, that that's that's not healthy. I don't know what you're doing. And I kind of snapped out of it and was able to kind of develop more of a normal and healthy routine. But yeah, I had to make mistakes in both directions. And I'm lucky that I've had smart people in my life to not only model off of, but also give me the information that I needed, both like nutritionists and like older teammates. I know not everybody has that. But, you know, seeking out like solid information when you can, because there's a lot of information out there. I feel like now you go on Instagram and there's like all sorts of people posting nutrition advice. And frankly, I'm really glad I didn't see that back in 2012 when I was 18. So, yeah, just having having good people helps a lot. Yeah, I love that you had a teammate kind of rein you in. But we do all we do all make mistakes. And that's why I think, again, I just wanted to highlight like you you do, you have to learn this. And that's one of, you know, our goals of this podcast is just to talk about it more. And hopefully, hopefully, it's the good information not contributing to all the bad nutrition information that's out there, because there is a lot. I know I see it every day. So, so you started with getting help from a sports dietitian on campus at Stanford. And then you've had some other people in your professional career kind of guide you with nutrition along the way. Do you have Rebecca, you know, you're you're definitely speaking about balance and things like that. Do you have any, I don't know if this is oversimplifying, but like tips for other um, athletes who maybe don't know where to start with their nutrition on like, you know, I make, you know, whether it be your hydration or what are some things that you kind of generally try to follow with your nutrition on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. Good question. I drink a lot more more water than I used to. You need more water than you think, especially if you're exercising. So that's a really good place to start. And then something that I've learned only in the last few years is how important it is to have like either a big snack or a good meal, like right after you've worked out. And that's something that like, I I didn't know before and I didn't realize was so important. And so I've kind of worked on now over time. So you will never catch me or almost never (laughs) once in a while make mistakes, but you almost will never catch me out for a workout or a run without like something to eat or drink that's really substantial right afterwards. Yeah. And in general, like eating when you're hungry, making sure you're getting, you know, vegetables and, and, and good proteins and such in there, I feel like is, is also a big, big part of the picture food is fuel (laughs) and you need it to, you need need the fuel to make your body go. 
So, so hydration, more water than you might originally think, really focusing on post-workout and balanced plates are kind of three things that keep you generally on the right path with your nutrition. Yep, totally. But also the flip side of that is like, like I said before, like I will eat the cake. I love cheese. Like I will, I will, I, I indulge. And I think that's important too, like to, to kind of keep yourself healthy and, and happy. And a happy athlete is a good athlete. So let's let's talk about cheese since you mentioned it. <laughs> so yes. post, post the U.S. Olympic trials, you you had a tweet about cheese and kind of went like viral a little bit um, to the point where you had like cheese companies reaching out to you. <laughs> I think yeah, right. I Can know. You? Hilarious. I, I think okay. I have the quote written down here. It was, I could eat cheese and crackers all day. That's my favorite post-run snack almost every single day, (laughs) which I think is a great, that's a great quote, but tell us about kind of the aftermath of that and why you think that became like such a thing. Yeah. So I was actually sitting in the stands at the Olympic trials. I think it was the day before my, my 1500 final. And I was sitting with, with my former college teammate Val Allman, who went on to win the gold medal at the Olympics, by the way, in the discus. And we were just joking around about stuff. And I said, like, you know, I'd do anything like for for a cheese sponsorship or something silly like that. And at the time, my boyfriend Jordan was managing my social media accounts at trials, I like had to totally zone off of social media and like deleted the apps from my phone. And he was the one to kind of running it for fun for that week. And he tweeted that. (laughs) And it just totally blew up. I think maybe there was some sort of relatability to it. Like people saw that and thought, wow, like if a pro athlete eats cheese, like that's cool. I don't know. But really it was just a silly thing for fun. And I could not believe how many, how many cheese companies reached out and how many people shared it. It was hilarious actually. But yeah, I had the opportunity to talk to gosh, so many companies, Cabot Cheese, Velveeta, Rogue Creamery, Baby Bell. I mean, you name it. It was an, a, the crisps company, the Parmesan crisps company. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, but really fun. You know, I think I learned uh, about a year before that, the power of the internet, um, I tweeted this, this tweet in the early, the pandemic that went viral. And I just cannot believe <laughs> what you can tweet and the kind of uh, reach you can get. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. Did you get any free samples sent to your house of any of these cheeses? Tons, like so much that I didn't know what to do with it. And you know, what's funny is like pre this happening, it had already like kind of gotten out there that I was a really big cheese fanatic that I, I make friends with a lot of the um, pro photographers that come to the track meets. They're all great people. And, and one of them, um, he, he is a photographer in his free time, but he also works in distribution for a Dutch cheese company. And when I was at Portland track festival, he gave me this like cooler of like, I mean, I kid you not like, 15 blocks of cheese <laughs> and I had to share it with people didn't know what to do with it so it's yeah it's 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 goofy it's fun but it's I don't know something that I guess has become a defining thing for me but I just <laughs> yeah I enjoy it it's su- super fun and I agree I think from just that standpoint of like why did that tweet like you know, get so much attention. It is nice to just hear athletes talking positively about foods that they love. And I'm also a cheese lover and a dairy lover. And so, you know, I'm going to back it up with some nutrition facts here. Post-workout cheese, great source of protein, great source of sodium for your electrolytes. And of course, we got some high calcium for your bones. We heard you say earlier, I know it was a while ago, but history of some stress fractures, we got to keep those bones strong. So 
So way to go on the cheese consumption. I'm a huge supporter there. Good. Glad to hear it. (laughs) Even Velveeta, believe it or not, I have a delicious summer squash vegetable soup recipe made with Velveeta cheese. And I'm like, you know what? Even as a dietitian, you got to do it from time to time. (laughs) I I agree. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So another... Kind of funny thing. I went on the uh, Little Wing Athletics website, and um, all you and your teammates all like have your little bios, and then you have two truths and a lie. And so yours are that you can speak four languages, you've been to seven continents, and you eat cheese every day. So I'm gonna guess <laughs> that you do eat cheese every day. That's a truth. Oh, and yeah. and I'm really guessing right now. I'm going to guess that you have been to seven continents Mm-mm. and that the lie is speaking four languages. Am I wrong? No, I've never been to South America. I've never been to Antarctica. So <laughs> I have I have those to oh, go. Yeah. Antarctica. That's that would be wild. I was just thinking you travel. Who's been there? <laughs> no, um, but no, I think I will say we'll hedge that at the time I could really claim that I could speak for and now I am way out of practice and I'm not sure <laughs> if that's the case. So maybe maybe two are two are, you know, one's a half fly. Okay. <laughs> so which languages are you fluent in and which ones are you somewhat? So I, my, my dad's family's from India, and I grew up around a lot of Hindi and Punjabi speaking, not necessarily my dad with my family, but but always with my grandparents with his extended family. And I took it for several years in college, um, because I wanted to learn how to like, really, I could always understand it. But I really learned how to speak it and read and write. And finally, I could turn on a Bollywood movie and actually understand what I was hearing. And so that was, that's, you know, been been really important to me. And actually, I'm going back to India next year. And now I learned for my cousin's wedding. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I got to get back on my Hindi because I haven't really been speaking it for the last like three or four years. But also, yeah, I I grew up speaking Spanish too. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm still in the process of kind of learning Spanish myself. It's hard, like you said, if you're just not in, you know, speaking it, if you're not practicing it. I've always loved that language. And I live in San Antonio, Texas right now. There's a lot of Spanish around me. And I have the last name Cortez, my husband. um, Oh, yes, you do. You know, yeah, he speaks Spanish. Um, He's Puerto Rican. So I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting there. That's awesome. Yeah. I I also always wish that my sister actually knows French quite well now. But uh, for a while, I would say like I I could understand it quite better. I spent a summer working in in Geneva. And I'd say my French is now terrible. Like I'd have to like totally relearn it (laughs) in order to understand. But my whole dad's family that the ones that kind of moved over from India all live in in a French speaking part of Switzerland now. And so every time I go, I like kick myself, (laughs) but I don't understand more of, of what I'm hearing. So we all, we all have stuff we're working on, you know? Yeah. Well, you keep working on it so that when you do get to all seven continents, you'll be able to communicate no matter where you are. <laughs> so, Rebecca, I'd love to ask you about your experiences with with Wazelle. You know, they're just such an interesting and inspiring company being an all-female team, all-female, you know, it, it's everything, not just the runners that you train with, but coaching and staff and clothing, you know, everything is just kind of all female focused and just wanted to kind of hear from your perspective, you know, how that experience is like for you, you know, what are some of the pros and cons maybe of an, of an all female team and why that's important to you? Yeah, 
when I graduated, I like I reached out to Wazell because I looked up to the company so much and how it was so small but so mighty and would stand up for for so much that needed to be changed in the track and field world. And I respected and looked up to Lauren Fleshman, who ended up being my coach, and and Kara Goucher so much for for like I said, they're they're speaking out and then a company that would like support them through that and. Yeah, I was I was so attracted to the idea of of getting to be a part of that, and it's been amazing. I can't believe I've I've been a Wazell athlete now for four years. I'm not sure where the time went, but it's it's fantastic. The company is is small, but they do so much good, and I think they make so many waves, like just leading the charge in in so many ways of of kind of getting to to equal pay and and getting to um you know paying mothers. And like, for instance, like I knew this, I read about it when they signed Lauren in what was it, 2013, she was pregnant. And that was like, totally groundbreaking, because no company had ever signed a professional athlete pregnant before. And I thought that that was was so absolutely amazing. And, and they backed it up, like kind of learning from them in the last four years. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful and, and how much I've learned and getting to be a part of an all female group has been so amazing. <laughs> I feel so lucky. I've learned so much from from my teammates and feeling like you have a sisterhood and feeling like I could la- always learn and respect like Lauren's experiences and how much that kind of propelled me forward and how much I learned from her. And what's so unique to you about Wazelle, I was just talking with with someone earlier today is that like I will text or call Sally, the CEO, and I have her number and my boyfriend has her number too. And it's like, she's so accessible. And that's just not the way it is at any other company, you know, if you run for for a bigger company. And I love that, that I can call her and have a conversation about anything at any time. And yeah, I feel like I'm just going on and on now, <laughs> but it's been it's so it's good. Been, it's been so great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think how do I want to say this? It's just so interesting to me because there are so many differences, good differences between men and women. And so it's just as simple as you being able to connect with your CEO so quickly, call her on the phone, like that could just be, you know, the differences in how some men and women operate. And so when you have an all female company and brand and organization, you guys are all kind of on the same page with like how you would want things to operate and how things flow and function. And so I just, I, like, I don't know, I need to reach out to more Roselle people because I'm so int- I'm so fascinated by it and so interested by it. And I actually spoke to, um, I guess, one of your teammates, uh, Angel, with Roselle a month or so ago. And I just loved hearing her talk about all of her positive experiences with Roselle as well. It's very cool. My sister was visiting me two weekends ago. I had a Roselle hat. She was like, I love this hat. I was like, it's, you know, the brand is just great. (laughs) I can't believe I didn't touch on this, but like I wore, so I wore Nike clothes all of college because we were Nike sponsored and I never had a pair of tights that fit me. I kid you not. They'd all like fall off my butt. And it was amazing wearing clothes made for women for the first time because they fit me. And like I wear tights that don't fall off my butt and that like makes such a difference. Just having like beautifully designed clothes. I know I sound like a pitch here, but like seriously, the first time I ever put on a pair of shorts was before I was sponsored by Wazelle. It was a college teammate of mine who was looking at Wazelle and considering different teams. And I absolutely loved them. So I think that that makes a difference, a huge difference <laughs> to have clothes that are it actually does. made for women and like supportive sports bras. And I don't know, so much beautiful stuff that that's so yeah. great. I agree. That's why right down to the hat with my sister. I was like, I know there's something about it that when it's a female brand, it just 
fits your body better. And we really appreciate that. So yeah, I'll tell the designers you said that. <laughs> yeah. And and Rebecca, are you also, you know, I read off in your bio, you know, some of the the work that you do, you know, with, I guess I'm calling it public service. I don't know exactly how you call it, but yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. Are, do you do that full time? Not right now. Okay. I was going to say, how do you do it all? <laughs> <laughs> I have been in periods of time where I've worked more full time. I don't know, looking back in the last four years, like when I graduated from school, I worked at a venture capital firm and I worked in policy and regulatory affairs, kind of getting to be the bridge between Silicon Valley and Washington, D.C. And that was a fantastic experience. And that was that was definitely full time. And then I'd say the couple of times I've worked on campaigns, (laughs) campaigns kind of turn into full time work, even if they're not designed to be. So I worked on um, Sally Russell's campaign for mayor, which I'd say at least in the last month, I was I was working pretty full time in yeah, the month before the election, that was in 2018. And then I was I served as a campaign manager for, as you mentioned, a candidate who was running for local office, he he won a city council seat in a landslide margin. <laughs> so I was very excited. But yeah, that was pretty, pretty full time, especially in the last several months. But no, for the most part, I've, I've worked part time, but what part time means can be five hours a week or it could be 35. <laughs> it just absolutely depends. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved my experiences. I really thought when I graduated from school, I was going to move to Washington, D.C. I was going to work in, in federal politics, federal policy, maybe work at a think tank and work on like international relations. But yeah, I ended up moving to Bend, Oregon. <laughs> so in Bend, Oregon, there isn't a whole lot of that. And I've, I love my experience getting to know a local government, getting to know a local community. I mean, it's a really awesome way to get to know a place really quickly and, and get to know the people who, who are trying to make it better. And I feel really proud to have been a part of that. Like watch city council go from one woman to, you know, one woman out of seven to now it's six women <laughs> out of a seven person council. And that's wow. pretty groundbreaking and feels like I can see the tangible impact. So I've, I've loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really great. I can see that the ebbs and flows of the seasons and campaigns, and I'm sure that affects <laughs> your ability somewhat of, you know, your training schedule and things like that. Um, something you have to juggle for sure. But Love I can, <laughs> yeah, I can sense from you the importance of this work that you do and staying involved in that. Almost like you said, kind of coming out of college, you weren't even fully sure you know, if pro running was it. So really focusing on your career was helpful. And now, wow, you get to do both, right? Yeah, I do. And you know what, I, it's like taking me time to be able to find like the correct balance and to figure out like how much work I can do with the running and stay healthy (laughs) doing the running and doing all the little things I need to do. Because I know I only have this period of time in my life to be able to pursue professional athletics and I really want to do that to the best of my abilities now, especially in probably the last few years that I'll I'll get to do it. But at the same time, like I, I've always felt like I need to be doing something else as well. And like that makes me feel whole (laughs) and it, it excites me. And it's important to me to feel like I'm kind of giving back to my community and, and running, running can feel like such a selfish endeavor because it is like I, I'm, I'm doing this for me. I'm trying to see how fast I can run. That working on something that feels so much inherently less selfish really, I don't know, fills my cup, makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Very important, not only to do what you love, but to do what makes you feel fulfilled, mm-hmm. fills up your cup, like you said, something that gives back to you. Yeah. And I hope to do that, you know, move, move to find a way to do that for track and field too. And kind of going back to the Wazell piece, like that has made such, I don't know, such a difference to, to work with a company that I feel like is making, making a difference. 
we're also working with a company that's making a positive difference in the track and field world. And I hope to kind of add to that as well in my work going forward. Absolutely. And well, I will be the first to say that you're, you know, being a pro runner and being on this podcast is certainly you making a positive difference to so many people who are listening right now and just hearing your experiences, your journey, your positive attitude, your nutrition experiences, and all of that, I think will help give back to so many others. So thank you, Rebecca, for joining and having this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad we finally got an opportunity to chat after going back and forth. But two women who have busy lives, what are you going to do? I know. Yeah, it took us probably two months to nail down this time, but we did it. So it's awesome. (laughs) Well, I don't want to let you go before asking you a few more fun questions that I ask every guest at the end of the podcast. Let's do it. Okay. Rebecca, if there's one food you could eat every single day for the rest of your life and never get sick of it, what would it be? I feel like this question is such a gimme because I want to say cheese because that's like, it's true because there's so many different varieties. You can eat it on so many different things and make so many things with it. I, that's my answer. I don't have another one. <laughs> cheese. I, I love that answer. We're going to stick with it. It's still cheese. So if any other cheese <laughs> companies want to send Rebecca more samples. Oh, always. I'll take samples. <laughs> love it. Rebecca, what is your favorite sport to participate in? Ooh, I mean, obviously, like the answer should be track and field. I love it. But I don't know if it wasn't track and field, then I loved growing up playing dodgeball (laughs) and nation ball. Those are my absolute favorites. And honestly, I wish there I wish I could find like an adult league or something for it. That would be that would be really fun. I feel like dodgeball is most children's like least favorite (laughs) game in gym class. I loved it. I I felt so accomplished if I could like catch the ball when someone threw it at me. It was like, I don't know. Plus, I think I liked beating the boys. (laughs) That felt that always felt good. So maybe that's an odd answer. You probably won't get that one again. But I wish I could play play adult dodgeball. (laughs) I love it. That's definitely the first time we've heard dodgeball as a favorite sport. You know, and thanks to the movie, who who doesn't actually love dodgeball in some right. way so <laughs> now how about as a spectator this can sometimes be different do you have a favorite um sport to watch as a spectator oh I grew up watching so many sports I love watching soccer I love watching like I don't know world cup I love watching the women's national team yeah soccer is, is definitely up there but like to be honest as a family we grew up going to Dodgers games we went to Kings hockey games we, I went to, I saw Lakers basketball at tight. So I'm just a sports fan in general, but, uh, but I think soccer probably tops the list. I love watching women's national team. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing team. So our final question, Rebecca is, you know, we really want to promote and help lift up other female athletes. So if there's another female athlete out there who's either someone in your personal life or someone more well-known professionally that you want to just give a shout out to for for being a role model and an inspiration who would that be and why one person that's so hard I feel like I've had the opportunity to follow so many amazing people but one person that sticks out who I've like I feel starstruck every time I meet her is Alicia Montano I feel like She had such an amazing career and she has done so much for the sport and and now she's like crushing it being a mom. And I just, yeah, I really, really love and and respect her and think she has a fantastic vibe and 
I hope she stays in the sport for, for a long time. And I, I got to meet her a couple of years ago when I made the final at, at us championships in the 800. And she did, she was actually pregnant at the time, um, but wasn't telling anyone, but she did, uh, she did her, she was in jean shorts and she went for a cool down with me and I was totally starstruck the entire time, but I was trying to play it cool. And she was telling me how cool it was to, to run with someone who had made the 800 final. And I was sitting there like, what the heck <laughs> you think I'm the cool one? Like, I am so amazed that you're here right now. And then, you know, meeting her over time, like she's just been such a like cheerleader for me and so supportive. And I just, yeah, I love her. Amazing. So to Alicia Montano for not only you lifting her up, but it sounds like she's the type of person that really, you know, li- lifts you up. Too. She, lifts she lifts everyone, everyone up, up around, around her. her. She, she does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing all of this, having this awesome conversation. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Glad we did this. Fans, I hope you enjoyed this episode and conversation. If it did help you, then I want to direct you to where you can sign up for our email list. If you think the podcast is helpful, then you will also find our monthly emails helpful and our blogs helpful. And I'm also super excited to drop some new materials on you all very, very soon to include online courses and swag. That's right. Although my specialty is coaching clients one-on-one individually to their goals, I do know many female athletes are looking for more digital resources that they can take advantage of on their own time. And that is coming super, super soon. So if you get on our email list, then you will be one of the very first to know and even get early bird pricing. No joke. I've been working on this and some other big things for Rise Up Nutrition for a while now. And I want you as a loyal fan, a female athlete nutrition podcast listener to be one of the first to know about these new and exciting things. So again, if you like the podcast, I'm sure you'll love all the other stuff. So get on our email list and stay in the loop. The direct link to sign up, just submit your email is in the show notes. So look for that. Or you can always head to our website, www.riseupnutritionrun.com. Thank you so much and happy holidays. Happy holidays.